preacher, blogger, and author Jonathan Stormont at one point recalls a story in which he had been making a video for his his church, and, and in the video, he had to, to dress like a Catholic priest, and so he had on all the, the black garb and the little uh, white collar. And after the video had been shot, he was driving back through his hometown uh, in Fort Worth. Uh, he was going along, and of course it was busy, and there was quite a bit of traffic, and he inadvertently cut someone off. Well, the person was not at all happy that they had been cut off. It's the Metroplex. Uh, and so they decided that they were going to drive up and fly past and, and give him uh, a hand gesture. Uh, and as they were giving the hand gesture uh, that only involved one finger, they realized that he was wearing uh, a, a, the Catholic uh, robe, the, the garb and the collar, and quickly their one finger went to five as they waved and passed by. Well, he thought, well, that's, that's a little awkward, but he stopped in for gas, went into the, the 7-Eleven, and as he was approaching, approaching the door, uh, a man was standing there, and he opened the door, and he said, after you, Father, and he says, I, I'm really, I'm, I'm not a, a, a priest, I'm just, uh, I'm just shooting this for a, uh, using this for a video. He says, I, I just I wanted you to know. He says, that's okay. And so he goes back and he gets a drink. And as he's going to get a drink, somebody reaches up and grabs the, the cup and hands and says, here you go, Father, this is for you. And he says, I'm sorry, I just, I'm not... I'm not a Catholic priest. You don't have to call me Father. It's okay. I, I appreciate it. I'm just wearing this for a video. He gets his Coke. He goes up uh, to the, the counter and the clerk uh, looks at him and says, Oh, my Father, this one is on you. And he said, Bless you, my child. <laughs> <laughs> and so it makes me wonder, what role do we play in the kingdom, and are we really priests, and at what times would we consider ourselves a priest? The next question I want to ask is this, and it sounds like it really has nothing to do with the previous one, but I think it does. The question I want to ask is, are you passionate Think about that. I mean, if, if you were to go in an online uh, dating service and, and you're trying to describe yourself in some way, like for me, example, I, I, you know, I'm, you know I, I'm, I'm funny, I'm strikingly handsome, you know. I mean, at least on paper, I've got it. I'm, I'm tall, I've got blonde hair, I've got blue eyes. I mean, you know, you think that, but it doesn't actually equate in real life, but at least on paper I would say that. And one of the things I would definitely say about myself is I think I'm a passionate person. And so I want you to ask yourself, are you a passionate person? Now that doesn't necessarily mean that you're charismatic or you're outgoing or you're bubbly, but are you passionate? And the second question is this. And this is the real important one. What are you passionate about? You see, we're all passionate about something. We all serve something. We all worship something. We all have something that we love and desire and adore, whether it be a spouse, whether it be a job, 
whether it be ourselves or whether it be God. Are you passionate? And what are you really passionate about? And maybe along those same lines, I'd like to ask us corporately, are we passionate? Is Taylor Street Church of Christ, is it a group of passionate people? If someone were to ask Katie Rasko, where do you go to church? And she says, I go to Taylor Street Church of Christ. Would they say, wow, that church is on fire. They are a passionate group of people. Would they? When, when Lila is out getting somebody ready at the bank, would they say to her, I know that you're from Taylor Street Church of Christ because you're a passionate person. Are we passionate? And what are we really passionate about? Are we passionate about what we do? Are we passionate about who we are? Are we passionate about our traditions, our Lord? Are we passionate about the people in our community who are hurting? Should the church be passionate? I want to read this. There was a time when the church was very powerful. In the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. The church was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Whenever the early Christians entered a town, the people in power became disturbed and immediately sought to convict the Christians for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But the Christians just pressed on. Things are different now. So often the contemporary church is a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. So often it is an arch defender of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silent and often even vocal sanction of things as they are. That was written on April 16, 1963. It came from the Birmingham jail, written by the hand of Martin Luther King Jr. Over 50 years ago, Martin Luther King Jr. said what the church was, their passion, their desire, their willingness to go after and reach those who are hurting, the ones that changed their communities, that's not the church anymore. No longer is the church a thermostat, but instead they're merely a thermometer gauging what is going on around them. But it was different back then. It was crazy different. 
It was radical. It was revolutionary. In fact, if you go back and look at the story of the early church chronicled by Dr. Luke in Acts, you see that things are just crazy all the time. In fact, N.T. Wright says, if I were to sum up Acts, I would say this, another day, another riot. That's what the church did in the first century. We all know a lot about Acts, don't we? We certainly know Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost, what took place, uh, the, the uh, Holy Spirit coming down, Peter and the others being able to, to speak in tongues, and people said, well, what's going on here? Are they, are they drunk? Why is this happening? And then, of course, uh, we have in Acts 2.38, the command to go out and preach the good news and how people were baptized. Acts chapter 3 is much of the same. Peter heals in the opening of that chapter and continues on to preach. In Acts chapter 4, John joins in as Peter and John continue to preach. They are then seized and released. And after they're released, they pray for boldness. The place is shaken and people begin to share all their possessions with one another. Acts chapter 5 opens, opens up and there's the debacle with Ananias and Sapphira, the story we're familiar with. But then it continues on with the apostles who begin to heal once again. The high priests and the Sadducees, they get together and they're jealous at what's being done. They're not pleased that God is healing people through the apostles. They're mad that they're not getting the light shown on them. And they're ready to stomp out this sect of Christianity that's stealing their thunder, that's taking away their show. And Gamaliel steps in and he says, leave them alone. And he gives two different examples of times in which people started an uprising. And after the person died, so did the people who followed them. They just scattered about. He said, okay, the people, their leader died and they were scattered. Judas died and they were scattered. Jesus died. Leave them alone. Because if they're not from God, they're going to scatter. If they're with God, you can't stop them. You're only fighting against God. The people agreed with His wisdom. They took the apostles. They beat them. The apostles left that place with fresh wounds, praising God that they had the opportunity to be beaten on His behalf. Acts chapter 6 opens up, and we have an issue with some Grecian widows who aren't getting taken care of like they ought to, and so the apostles choose seven men who are going to help take care of the widows. One of those men happened to be Stephen, who is full of grace and filled with the Holy Spirit. And later on in that chapter, after uh, he is recognized for being a Christian, he is seized, 
And they take him in and they begin to bring false witnesses against him. And it's that moment while this is taking place that they notice that his face begins to glow. But that doesn't stop them because we have in Acts chapter 7 one of the most amazing, bold speeches that you're ever going to hear. He stands up in front of them and he goes after them right to their face. He says, this is who Jesus is and this is what you've done to him and he's not the first one that you've done it to. All the prophets before whom you honor were killed by your great, great, great grandparents and you're still doing it today. And he looked at those people, these people in high places, the high priest, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, he looks at him and he says, you guys are nothing but a bunch of lying, murdering, disobedient people. Well, that set well with them. They really liked that. And so they did what any good normal adult would do. They put their hands over their ears they began yelling and they rushed Stephen. And they took him out and they began to stone him. Stephen, as he is dying, he looks up to heaven and he prayed that God would forgive them. That's passionate. That's not passionate about a job or a car or a house or a vacation. That's not passionate about the perfect family or a good spouse. That's not passionate about what I want or what I'm going to get. That is absolutely unbridled passion and desire to serve and glorify God. But that was then. That, it's not like that any. And, and that was Stephen. I mean, Stephen is known as being filled with grace and the Holy Spirit. That was Stephen who had the boldness and the ability to speak in a way that none of us can speak. That was Stephen who was chosen as one of the seven. That was Stephen who performed miracles. That was Stephen who was chosen by God. He's like in a different group altogether. Like there's Stephen over here and like we're way over here. We, we can't really compete so we, we can't be expected to have have that kind of passion. We're not an apostle. We weren't chosen as one of the seven. It, it's no longer the New Testament times where it was the first century and the Holy Spirit worked in that way. It just doesn't happen like that anymore. And we're not Stephen. You remember we started a few minutes ago talking about the story of Jonathan Stormont wearing his, his uh, uh, collar because he was shooting a video. The video he was shooting was for his church because in that video he was trying to impress upon them 
what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you might declare His praise. He wasn't talking about Stephen. He's talking about you. You see, being a priest doesn't have anything to do with the color of your collar. You don't have to have a white collar. You don't have to have a collar at all to be a priest for God. You don't have to be chosen as one of the seven. Being a priest has nothing to do with age or race or gender. So we can stop saying, I can't be a priest because I'm not a guy. I can't be a priest because I'm not old enough. I can't be a priest because I don't have a collar or I haven't been to seminary or I don't work in a church. If you are alive, you have the opportunity to glorify God. You don't need a collar to be a priest. Jonathan Stormont in his book, How to Start a Riot, shares this. He says, Brian, my friend with Down syndrome, gave me a vision of the dream of God. Brian is a member at a small church where Jonathan had preached at one time. He says, I mentioned earlier that Brian always led a couple of songs and prayed the final prayer, but that's where it stopped. Since Brian's prayer tended to gravitate towards fast food, we didn't ask him to pray the important prayers, like for the Lord's Supper. But not everyone knew our unspoken rules. One day we had a visitor come worship with us, and we asked him to preside over the Lord's Supper. At this point, Brian was assisting in passing the plates, but he had never been asked to pray for communion. After all, we knew what those prayers sounded like. And we didn't want the prayer for communion to mention Burger King in it. But on this particular day, our visitor didn't know that. So after he had prayed for the bread, he turned to Brian and asked him to pray for the cup. Immediately, the other church members were thinking, No! And that's when it happened. Brian bowed his head, and he prayed 12 words that are forever seared in my memory. God, thank you for the blood. I know it hurt you. Amen. The best prayer ever spoken. It wasn't eloquent, but it was deep. He didn't have to have a master's degree to come up with that. It was just a young man who was passionate about a God who was passionate for him. He recognized the sacrifice that Jesus made for him. 
Thank you for the blood. I know it hurt. Amen. That is the kind of priest that Jesus calls each one of us to be. Oh, to go back to the day of Pentecost. What I would have given to flash back and go back and listen to Peter as he spoke in all these different languages and people heard him to, to watch and understood him and to watch as the Holy Spirit just began to infiltrate the lives of those people and the thousands that became followers of Jesus that day to be a part of a movement that was radical. To be a part of a group of people that was so crazy about what they did that when they walked into a town, people started talking and said, we've got to do something. These people are crazy. But it was just a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors. A bunch of no-gooders who would never amount to anything. But they were passionate. And so I ask you one more time. Are you passionate? And what are you passionate about? You don't have to wear a collar. You don't have to attend a Christian university. You don't have to have the Bible memorized in King James or NIV or any other translation. You just have to be willing. You're a priest. You have been chosen. You have been created to glorify God. You haven't been created to be the best worker at your job. God didn't make you so that you could multitask and fill your calendar with every imaginable event. Your thumbs weren't given to you so you could be the best poster or texter or Instagrammer. Your eyes weren't given to you so that you could only see what you wanted. You were created. Every part of you was created to glorify God. Attach that with a passion and a desire for the Lord this week. And let's be the type of people that when we walk into a room, when we step foot into a building, when we cross the street, someone says, Ain't God good? 
That's my challenge for you this week. Acts didn't end in the first century. It still exists today. And I want to ask you to join me as we continue to start a riot that changes lives and saves people. And I want to encourage you to do it this morning as we stand and sing.